let's talk about making love. No, not that kind of making love. Did you know that the average person only spends half a percent of their life having sex? Here at Making Love Today, we learn from couples about what they do with the other 99.5% of their time to create meaningful, deeply fulfilling, and long-lasting relationships. So listen up as we hear what our guest couples do outside the bedroom to make their love work. And now, here's your host, Patrick Perkins. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 11 of Making Love Today. I'm once again your host, Patrick Perkins, and extremely excited to be here with you and to share with you another great couple. Before we jump into the interview, just like to again remind all of you to please subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts, and while you're at it, give us a five-star review. Both things help immensely in helping other people find this podcast. Also, once again, like to invite all of you to share with us couples who you think would be great to be on this show. Please contact us at our email address, podcast at rekindlelovetoday.com. We know that there are great couples that you'd love to hear from on this show, and we would love for you to help us get in touch with them. For today's couple, we're talking with Nick and Megan. Nick and Megan, they met in their early 30s, both with already established careers. Most of the couples we've spoken with thus far got together at a little bit earlier age. And while Nick and Megan are by no means old when they got together, they're certainly a little bit more established than many of the couples we've discussed to date. Nick and Megan do a great job of discussing how they were able to take their lives and blend them together. Also, Nick and Megan are proof that blind dates actually sometimes do work out. Let's just go ahead and jump on in. Thank you, Nick and Megan, for being on the show with me today. My first question for both of you is, tell me about your first date. We are a blind date couple. There was a a girl that I was working with. She went to high school with Megan. She approached me and just said, hey, how do you feel about being set up on blind dates? I said, I don't really mind because either something goes really great or if it's not so great, at least you have a fun story to tell and you get food. She asked Megan relatively the same question. Yeah, she basically said the same thing to me. How do you feel about blind dates? And I said, eh, because I was 29 years old at the time and had been on a lot of blind dates. But then I said essentially the same thing as Nick. Well, you know, worst case scenario, it's two hours of your life and you, you leave with a good story. She rubbed her hands together with glee and gave Nick my number. And he called me on the phone. Was not a text. It was a genuine phone call, which was very impressive. I've got some class. I set up reservations. I kind of figured if that goes well, then there's a dessert shop just up the street a little bit. So I arrive. I'm very, very early. I'm waiting. Eventually she does show up and she is this amazing, gorgeous woman that just walks in. And at that moment, I thought, thank you, Ashley. (laughs) That was fantastic. We hit it off very well that we did, in fact, go to the dessert shop afterwards. I told her that I had a wonderful time and I'd like to see her again. Called her up later. We got another date going. One of the funniest things that happened was he had a friend who who said, "You, you need to let her know that you have your stuff together, that you have your life together. So make sure she knows that you have a good full time job and that you own your own house, because that will really wow her. And so he wasn't, here's my resume, I have a job, and here's my house. But, you know, in the course of conversation of the night, those came up. I go home to my roommates and say, you know, it was a great day, and he was he was funny, and we had a really good time, and the time passed really quickly. And he also has a full-time job and his own house. He has his stuff together. 
So that turned out to be good advice. Would you have given him a second date if he didn't own his own house and have a steady job? Oh, that's a good question. I probably would have because he was so personable. But at that point in my life, I had just been dating for a really long time. I felt like the pool of candidates was pretty shallow. And there was a lot of apathy in in life for the people that I was going out with that was just really discouraging. The fact that he did have a little bit of direction and some roots was really attractive to me. But his personality was solid enough. I, I probably would have given him, given him a second chance, even without those perks. <laughs> well, I'm sure that Nick's very happy to hear that. I am. How did things progress from that point forward? I'll tell this part because it's my fault, <laughs> mostly. We had a great first date and we kind of made plans for a second one. The job I had was just really, really busy. So the only thing that we could make work was a lunch date. And that day I was particularly stressed. I was also felt like I was getting a little sick, so I wasn't feeling great. It just was kind of a dud, <laughs> to be honest. Conversation was not flowing. There were a lot of kind of awkward silences and scrambling for something to say. I just wasn't in a good headspace to be there. We finished lunch and I remember having the thought, oh, well, you know, that's probably the last time I will see that guy. But then as I was getting back to work, I got a text from him, which I have saved. <laughs> he basically said, thanks again for lunch. I had a great time. And then he said this, I know I can be a bit of an emotionally stoic person, but I do really enjoy being with you. And then he asked me if I wanted to go on a date to look at Christmas lights. And it just blew my mind. I had been having some pretty depressing dating. I didn't know any guys that would be emotionally vulnerable that way to open up and be like, hey, that wasn't great, but I can do better. I was so impressed by that that I was immediately like, yeah, absolutely, let's plan something else. And so we went the next week and went to look at Christmas lights and basically were together ever since. Let's just say that first date was extra great. It overridden any awkwardness and whatever from the second one that it demanded a next try. <laughs> Nick, what was going through your mind that made you decide to send that text message? I was looking at myself and my, like a lot of my relationships that I had, I feel like they all ended very similarly. Something that I had told a friend long before was if the same thing keeps happening, it's probably something that you're doing. You need to look at yourself and figure that out. I was kind of retrospectively looking at my past relationships. Why did they end? And they all ended, kind of, like I said, relatively similarly. And I decided that I had to decide if I wanted to make this work or not. I kind of stepped outside of my comfort zone. And instead of just letting it slide by, like I may have with any of the other relationships that I had, I decided to let's fight for this. Let's see how this one can go. With that in mind, I reached out, sent her that message where that emotionally stoic thing came in was I just kind of let things slide. This was not one of those times that I wanted to let something slide. So Megan, you said that Nick described himself as emotionally stoic. Then just a moment ago, you said that you were amazed that he would do something so emotionally vulnerable. How would you describe Nick emotionally today? Is he more stoic or is he more vulnerable? I think he's a mix of both. There are times that I have to do a little bit of digging 
what I can tell there's something on his mind that is bothering him or something that's just not quite right. And he'll say, oh, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. And I'll say, I can tell you're not fine. Talk to me. I kind of say, hey, I, you don't seem fine to me. Something seems like it's up. He's pretty open about things that are going on or things that are bothering him. So I think that there is kind of the tendency to put on a facade But then once you kind of get behind that, he's pretty emotionally open when we have those kind of conversations. Nick, would you say that's a pretty accurate assessment of yourself? Uh, That she has to prod me to open up? Yes. (laughs) I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, I think I kind of have the mentality of I'm kind of my own person and I, I need to be someone who is not in conflict, not... In chaos, I need to be calm, collected. Yeah, having those kinds of emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Those are something that's harder for me that I I haven't had much experience with. I mean, I was 29 as well. So I've been, for most of my adult life, my own man. The relationships that I had ended in different ways that I feel like were probably because of this tendency that I have. So yeah, she's it's pretty accurate. I'm trying to be that more open, but Megan still needs to prod me. I hope I'm a little more forthcoming when she asks, but I am more more open about it now with her than, than I ever had been in the past. It's been something I've had to focus on. It's been pretty hard. And I think a lot of it is I'm not a, a confrontationalist kind of a person. So if I'm expressing feelings and things like that, it may not be a confrontation, but I feel like that's a confrontation, like <laughs> somewhere deep down in my psyche, in my in my little core of being, expressing emotions is a confrontational-ish kind of a thing to do. Working through that has been a something that I have to consciously keep in mind and work through. And Megan, how does that compare to how you are emotionally? In general, I'm more open. I I think in the past I was and I and I still I guess I do have this tendency of kind of holding things in. Nick, he's very easygoing and so something might be bothering him and he'll just kind of let it go. But if something bothers me and I don't address it, then it festers and then I'll blow up at a totally minor thing because I have this buildup of resentment or emotion that I need to get out. That's something in marriage that I have learned about myself that I wasn't really conscious of. Roommate situations is probably the closest I've come to that, but being married and learning that if I don't address things, especially emotional things that are bothering me or that I want to talk about that it'll just build up and then it will only be worse. I'm usually the one that instigates things because I feel like I have more emotions that need to be addressed. (laughs) But I've become more the open book type of person or more willing to just start talking about whatever the problem is. So it sounds like becoming emotionally vulnerable is something that both of you have worked on a bit in this relationship. Do you have any specific examples that could help to illustrate that? The thing that comes to mind for me is we we just have gone through in the past little over a year, some huge life changes. We had our first baby. And as part of that decision to, to start having kids, we made the decision that I would quit my full-time job and be home. And I do work from home part-time, but I do spend the majority of my time with our son at home. 
And that has kind of rocked my my world. It's been a huge shift on basically every level. I have found that if I hold any of that anxiety about my purpose or my worth or or the overwhelming feeling of having a job that never stops or trying to do my professional job as well as mothering as well as keeping the house and all of those things, I find that if I don't talk about even the smallest struggle that I'm having, that I just can't cope and can't function very well. I have had to be really vulnerable and open, especially because I was 30 when we got married. I had been in the professional sphere for 10 years. I derived a lot of satisfaction and a lot of my self-worth and pride in who I was and what I did in that professional sphere, giving that up. I knew it would be hard. I severely underestimated how hard that would be for me just because so much of my identity was tied up in that. I have to be very vulnerable and open when there are parts of as much as I love, love, love my son. And I know we made the right decision for our family for me to be at home with him. There are a lot of days and a lot of every day that I don't enjoy what I do minute to minute. Being vulnerable and feeling comfortable being like, this is hard and it's not something that I'm getting satisfaction out of has been really different because I'm not used to being so vocal about the things that I feel like I'm failing at. So that sounds like it's been a very difficult transition, even though it sounds like you don't regret the decision at all. How did you guys come to that decision in the first place that that's what you would do when your son was born? I mean, like you said, that was a very difficult decision. And she, this is one of those times where I felt like I was supporting her in her decision. If she felt like she wanted to keep working after, I would support her and help make sure that we can keep that going. I mean, she is a very studious person and well-researched. And a lot of the research that she had found that she wanted to be in that home mother mentality so that so that our son growing up would have someone there, would have a mother figure, and it would be our family, would be us, not a secondary care provider. This was the the route, the choice that she decided she wanted to make. And I was incredibly supportive of her, of this choice. I know this is a very difficult thing to do because that would be a difficult thing for me to do as well. And so I may not always have the right answers or anything like that, but I do want to try to be there any day that she needs to just vent or cry or whatever. I want to be the person that she can turn to 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 address these feelings. And I think I would add to that that when we were dating and you know talking about getting married, this was one of the things that we talked a lot about what child raising would look like for our family. I just have always felt really strongly that I would want to be home as much as possible with my kids just to not miss that opportunity because it is, you know, the the, the saying that the days are long, but the years are short. I really feel that even I can't believe our baby's 15 months old. So that is something we talked about. And and both of us kind of were lucky to grow up in homes similar to what we pictured for ourselves, where our moms were there 
most of the time. My mom started working when my youngest sibling started school. And so I was in, I think, eighth grade when she went back to work full time. But having her there when I was really young, I felt like that was a good, solid base to start with. And then as the reality came that we were going to be having a baby, we did do a lot of that kind of emotional feeling it out, what our desires were. But then we also were really practical and look budget wise. Could we survive on one income? What would our lifestyle look like? We went from two full-time incomes, no kids, very little debt, just a house to cutting down to one income and a kid who he has a seizure disorder. So that's been a little bit pricey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's, he's fine now he's it's managed, but things like that, where there's expected costs and unexpected costs. We, we spent a lot of time just doing the practical work of, is this something that we could do and be happy and comfortable in the lifestyle changes we'd have to make to accommodate that. There was a lot of discussion and I feel like he was supportive. It was ultimately my decision, but I think we both were actively involved in coming to that decision. You mentioned that your son had a seizure disorder and that can't be an easy thing for any parent to go through or find out. How did that affect both of you as a couple and how did you work through that together? Thankfully, Megan has had experience recognizing and dealing with some of these issues in the past. Her sister has a couple of kids who have gone through something very similar. And so Megan was able to recognize the signs early on. With that, we were able to get help much quicker. Yeah, we were able to get Finn on some medication that will help keep the seizures under control. With that experience that she has had, it was able to help really keep things to a manageable zone very quickly. I would say it, our personality types helped. I was glad that I had seen that before. I actually ended up living with my sister when her baby first started having these seizures. I moved in with her and worked from home so I could help. So it was devastating and terrifying that it was my child, but the logical side, I knew exactly what was happening. I knew how dangerous it was. I knew what we needed to do to handle it. We're lucky that it's a it's a genetic mutation that is in my side of the family, but we're lucky that our iteration of it is very easily managed with medication. We were able to get him in really quickly to, to a neurologist and get him on the medication. So his were under control within a month, whereas it took her quite a bit longer to get it diagnosed in, in her child. Where I'm more of a stressed out personality type, having that knowledge was really helpful. Nick is a lot more of a laid back. And so I was able to take a lot of comfort from the calm that he projects, even if he wasn't necessarily feeling that calm all the time. He sure projected a calm base and that helped me. And then we both are just really invested in making sure he gets the medicine We've never missed a single time because we're both just really invested in him thriving and overcoming this condition. And I feel like it really has strengthened us to handle difficult things because it was something that was pretty traumatic and hard for a while. Yeah, as you're going through all of these things, and now just in, in parenthood in general, Megan, you've talked a lot about how difficult that is for you. Could you talk a little bit about the sort of things that Nick does to help you through those difficult times? Uh, he's fantastic about jumping in as soon as he gets home. He leaves for work quite early in the morning before Finn wakes up. So he doesn't see him. And in fact, he used to see him, but Finn would cry when he would leave for work because Nick's Finn's favorite. Um, (laughs) And so we had to have him not see Finn before he went to work because he would cry when he left. So he leaves pretty early. So I handle kind of all the morning stuff with Finn. He works only about five minutes away from our house. So he comes home for lunch 
almost every day, which is awesome. He gets some time to play with Finn and he puts him down for his nap. And then we have a little bit of time, just the two of us before he heads back. He's really great to jump in and rough house with Finn and play with him the second he walks in the door so I can have a chance to get dinner cooking or even he's really nice about being like, do you just need to go take a minute <laughs> for here for yourself? He, without being asked, jumps into even just give me a five minute mental break the second he's in the door, which is rare from what I've seen of family of mine and friends that I have been with. And even for myself, you kind of sometimes need some decompressing time when you get off of work and he just jumps right in. What I kind of feel like my role, I mean, I like to think I'm kind of a traditional, like protect, provide, and I don't want to be the, the father that is coming home and just sitting down watching TV or just expecting the household runs itself. I'm the Lord of the manor, but I don't do anything in the manor because you know, whatever. I like to feel like that I'm contributing to the house. I may not always, I'm not a, I have a hard time with foresight, I guess, because I am such an easygoing kind of a person. When I see things that need to be addressed, for some reason, my mind doesn't always click in and say like, hey, do this thing. And so that's something that I've been working on trying to help take care of. But I do want to make sure that I'm helping in the household, whether it's just it's cleaning, helping with projects. And then I absolutely want to make sure that I'm a father figure for my son so that he has that he has a father that he can look up to and someone is there he can ask questions to that he can gain a phenomenal sense of humor just like I have. Maybe <laughs> a better sense of humor than I have. I don't know. I mean, my default is humor, fun, almost nonstop. And so that's I'm trying as a father to be more more of that provider, more of the the role model that's not just let's go play, but someone who can help bring order, bring structure but still help keep a loving environment, a loving home, having that feeling so that whenever our son is able to come, when he gets older, when he comes home, that it's a place that he can be himself. But yeah, I think that's kind of how I envision or how I see my role. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a cliche. I'm sure you've heard it before, but that the idea that society sometimes has of the mom leaves to do something and the dad's babysitting the kids, but he's not actually babysitting the kids. He's bothering the kids he's you know being the parent he's as much of a parent as the mom is but there's sometimes this societal kind of representation that they're incapable or that it's not their job or whatever and i have never in my life felt that way with nick he co-parents and he shares the responsibility i mean i i don't think i changed finn's diaper until he was two weeks old nick did all of it he jumps in and takes equal if not more than 50 percent of the load when he's with us which is has been a saving grace <laughs> to be frank <laughs> well that, that's awesome Th- thank you both so much for sharing that you've talked a lot about the changes becoming a parent i'd also like to go back a little bit before that you weren't old by any stretch of the imagination when you got married but you were both very independent at that time and had your own life going can you talk a little bit more about some of the challenges and changes and just adjustments that it took when you first began your lives together can i tell our wedding night story it's not scandalous. Okay. <laughs> I guess I should say the day before we got married story. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, t- I can tell it? Yeah. Okay. 
like I said, Nick had a house before we got married. So I just moved in and we were going on a cruise for our honeymoon, but we spent our wedding night in, in our house and then flew out early the next morning. The day before we got married was doing all the last minute errands and getting my nails done and all that kind of stuff. Nick and I were supposed to meet and drive to the town we were going to get married in together that evening and then have dinner with my family and then get a good night's sleep and all that. It ended up just being later and later because I was trying to get all this stuff done. So we were just kind of texting. I said, I'm going to be probably another hour. So if you want to get the house ready, that would be great. And I'll text you when I'm on my way. And in my mind, what that meant was get everything cleaned up, make sure you're all packed for the trip, make sure the house is ready to go, both because we were coming back there on our wedding night and also because we were going to be then be out of town for a week afterwards, not there. That was the expectation in my brain. So I finished and went to his house to pick him up and drop off the last load of stuff for my apartment or whatever. And um, <laughs> and I walk in and he's put like new sheets and bedspread on the bed, which was very cute and thoughtful, but he had dirty clothes <laughs> still on the floor and like the kitchen sink was full of dishes. And I think he had finished packing, but like it was kind of just a mess. And I just kind of had a little bit of an emotional meltdown because I was stressed because we were like hours late. And then this idea that I had in my head of what it was going to be like was 0% what it was like. That was the moment (laughs) we weren't even married yet, but that was the moment I realized how important clear communication and communicating expectations in a very defined way was. And that's been something that we have had to work at a lot in the four years since we were married because... I'm a lot more of a type A personality than I thought I was when I was single and everything I did my way because it was only me that mattered and cared. Getting married has shown me that I really do have strong opinions about things. And Nick is very laid back, which is nice because that mostly means my opinion. She makes the decision on what what color all the drapes are. Exactly. Well, that's because you didn't have blinds. (laughs) and You lived here for nine months with no blinds. It's true. But um, that's been something that I've had to learn is how to express my desires or how my expectations for things. And then also being okay with my way is not always the right way or the best way. Or it might be the right way or the best way, but it's not the way we have to go because Nick also has thoughts and opinions and feelings that should be addressed (laughs) in our relationship if we want to be equal partners. We laugh about it now and joke about it now because it was such a ridiculous thing at the time. And my reaction was totally overblown. But that idea of if there's something that I need or that I expect, I need to specifically say what that is so that Nick understands my expectations or that we can talk about them and I can revise my expectations to something that works for both of us. So to be fair, the dishes were not going to go with us on the vacation. So why did they need to be clear? Like, I get it. I know why. But, like, again, this is my 29-year-old bachelor mind at work. Great, I'm getting the house ready. I'm They'll be here when I get back. Not a big deal. So uh, I've learned that that was not the correct way to get ready to go on a vacation. The dishes <laughs> must be done and put away. Clean house before you leave on a vacation is part of getting ready to go on vacation. I'm sure that my wife would most definitely agree with you on that point. How has it been moving forward since then? How has that transition of learning how to communicate and learning about your personality differences, how's that been moving forward from there to where you are today? I think we're still learning and making adjustments as we go. I'm learning. I am so much of an easygoing kind of a guy that there was a fun little insight into 
my quote unquote home ownership, which I own the home, but it was very much a bachelor pad. So my furniture was the freest of furniture. <laughs> my blinds were the freest of blinds in that I had none, but it's a three story townhouse. So like, no one's going to look at the top floor where the bed is because it's three stories tall. These are the incorrect thoughts of a bachelor, mind you. <laughs> Megan has this phenomenal ability to see the bigger picture. I am a in-the-moment kind of a person. Megan is the long-game person. She has been the person that has helped me improve myself the most, by far. I've been able to somehow get to where I am on my own. And where we are going as a family is so much better than where I ever could have been by myself. Because Megan has that bigger picture, that long game in mind that I'm all for. I'm on board with it. I have a hard time seeing that far in the future. I'm glad that one of us does. One of my very favorite things about Nick is how easygoing he is. When he says he's easygoing, he literally is the most easygoing person in the entire world, which I think has been a, <laughs> one of the secrets of our success. I am one of the lesser easygoing people in the world. Something that has been hard for me, I think in, in general, we're getting better at it. I realized that I need to express myself for and that I need to ask his opinion on things. And when he does have an opinion on something, I need to take it seriously because it it is something that is important to him. I think one of the harder things is I feel like I've had more needs that have been not shallow, I would say, but they're not the deep part of a relationship type things. It's not anything as crazy as there's a certain way I load the dishwasher, but more towards that end of the spectrum where there's ways I like things done or family rules like the sink can't have dishes in it when we go, <laughs> when we go out of town or things like that, that I feel like there's not a counterpoint that Nick brings to those kind of things because he's so easygoing. That makes me feel a little bit like a fishwife sometimes, which has been hard. I have come to learn more and more that he doesn't begrudge me those things. So if it is something that is bothering me enough that I'm having negative thoughts about Nick or about our relationship, that I just need to bring it up and we will talk about it. 99 times out of 100, he just had no idea that I felt that way. And he's happy to do the thing that I wish he would do. We're finding more that as long as we're talking about things and the friction is getting less and less as time goes on. And you said that's been something that you've been working on and it's been getting better over time. How do you work on it? I think just kind of day to day and situation to situation. If there's something that comes up that is a new thing, and that happens a lot, especially having a baby that's growing that I can just even casually, like when he comes home for lunch, be like, hey, can we do this? Or can you make a note of this? Or what do you think about this? And he'll be like, yeah, that's great. Or here's an alternative or whatever. So I think it's just practicing situation to situation. Also, when it's something that we've talked about before that continues to crop up, you know, I think every relationship has those things that are kind of the, the pain points that may or may not ever go away, but that you butt up against repeatedly that I don't have to get emotional about being like, this is something we've talked about before, but I can just say, hey, remember we decided this or whatever. And it can be a reminder of, of a decision that we've come to together, usually driven by a desire of mine, but it's a decision that we've come through together and kind of say, hey, can we recalibrate and focus on this too? And, and it's also things about myself. It's not just, hey, Nick, you need to change. You're doing this thing. But hey, remember, we decided that this was going to be our TV rule and we're watching way too much TV or things that apply to both of us. You just take them piece by piece. And because we take them piece by piece, it never builds up to a point where there's huge confrontations 
or very, very rarely. I mean, they get large-ish every once in a while, but I don't think it's ever gotten massively out of control or anything like that. Yeah. We've talked a lot about your current relationship and how you've gotten to where you are. Where do you see your relationship going in the future? Yes, <laughs> I see it still going in the future. <laughs> I mean, we're still living in a townhouse, and so we feel our growing family is going to require something a little more spacious, more room than what we currently have. There's goals, life goals, things like that that we're going to be hitting. Something that Megan has brought into my life that I love and appreciate beyond all reason is travel. I have been not a person with wanderlust. I'm not afraid of traveling, but I've never really sought out travel per se. Megan, on the other hand, is a very well-traveled person. And that's something that she brought to me. For our first anniversary, we took a two-week vacation out to England. We stayed in London for a while, drove around, which was terrifying because she made me drive. (laughs) Um, But we drove around through the lower part of England. We hit Scotland. We did jump across the channel to France for a little bit. And it was amazing. And I love it. And I'm expecting that we're going to be going back. I've done more travel for work since we've been married. I don't know if it was because Megan is in my life, but I think it helped because now I had a better idea on what traveling is like, how it can be. She is the most organized and planned out traveler that you would ever meet. She's make sure that there is always something able to be going on at any given time. Sometimes it can be exhausting, (laughs) but it's always fun. Yes, I have learned to go more with the flow with Nick. Something that came out of our our honeymoon, actually, Nick got super sunburned. It was a cruise and uh, I was on the deck. He got super sunburned like the second day of our (laughs) trip. And so there was, so he was just laying in the dark in our cabin on the sheets, trying not to move. And he said, this is our life now. Like we're never getting off this bed. (laughs) You know, I just, I'm going to die here. Kind of as a joke, you know, this is our life now, but that's really become a mantra for our family. I think there are like two ways that we look at it or maybe even three ways when we're in ridiculous situations, like, multiple bodily fluids coming out of our child. This is our life now. Or when amazing things happen, like we had a baby, this is our life now. And then also just in trials, pulling on our boots and this is our life now. It's kind of become something we say really regularly. I think I have a lot of Instagram pictures that are hashtag, this is our life now. But I feel like that's kind of the direction that our life is going forward and that I hope the status quo things that are good stay that way and we continue on that trajectory. I hope that we continue having those mind-blowing moments of wonder and excitement and gratitude and then the challenges and trials that come our way that we take it on the chin and keep going. That's something I've really liked that started literally at the very beginning of our marriage and has continued to play a part. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of great things to come. I have just a few more questions left as we work to wrap things up. The first one, what's a terrible piece of relationship advice you've heard before? One that I've heard is don't go to bed angry. I was thinking the exact same one. Yeah, <laughs> because I get the premise of it is don't let things fester. And we, as we've talked about earlier, that's something I had a tendency to do and sometimes still do that I'm working to overcome. But I also think that as new parents, sometimes the end of the day is just you are just done. And it's really easy for feelings to get hurt or tempers to flare or 
statements to be misconstrued or things like that. Unpacking that when you're both exhausted and covered in various bodily fluids of your child (laughs) is not a good idea because it will blow little things way out of proportion. And you'll have to do so much more repair work than you would if you just let it roll off your shoulders and addressed it the next day. Or a lot of times it will be gone by the next day. So that's one where I feel like it's hearts in the right place, but there are a lot of instances where it's a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. I like, and like I said, that was the same thing that I thought is, I feel like there's a lot of times that I think if there's an issue, bring it up. And if it's something that's escalating, getting out of hand and it is getting late, then sometimes that is something that you just need to sleep on. A fresh, clear mind, I think, makes a world of difference. And if it's still that big of an issue after you wake up, then great. Buckle down for some debate, some compromise, and make things work. On the other end of things, what's a really great piece of relationship advice that you've received before that you could share? If you have to fight, fight naked. <laughs> I was literally thinking the same one, <laughs> one too. <laughs> that, I think that's a that's a funny one. Because it just, you know, gets to the heart of how many things are that big of a deal. But I think it's uh, the, the phrase I've heard is choose your love and love your choice. There's a difference between a wedding and a marriage. A wedding is the big event and the grand affair and the romance and the money and <laughs> the spending time with friends. But the marriage is the day to day drudging lows and stellar highs and to treat your marriage like a marriage and not like a wedding. Uh, Something that Megan brought up while we were engaged was these questions to ask before you're married. They go over just about every aspect of married life. And the thing that I found fascinating is, and I guess I didn't realize the impact of it until later, is that you may not agree on everything, but know where each other stands on certain topics, be it on finances, be it on religion, on politics, various things because they can be heated things. If you're just in the fiery, passionate romance of early love and getting married and all this fun stuff, these things are going to be coming up. And if you are not aware of the other person's stance on topics, knowing where they stand, knowing where you stand, um, is going to be incredibly advantageous. Be able to put yourself in the other person's shoes. They may have the better opinion. And that's something that I've learned is that Megan oftentimes has the better opinion. It may be because I don't have an opinion on things, but that means she has a better opinion. And so I can learn to be like, great, that's kind of where we need to go. Early on, that is something that we went through with a lot of those questions. And I think there were a lot of the questions that we were already kind of on the same page. There were some other questions that we weren't, but being able to address those early and at least bring them to light has been able to give us a frame of mind when growing together as a family and bringing children into this family where we stand on these topics. And now just to wrap things up, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like both of you to turn to the other and just tell each other one at a time what you love about them. I love your nose so much. (laughs) She has the perfect nose. Um, But that is one of the many things that I love about her. Number one, it, well, I'm not even going to number these. They're just all phenomenal. She is amazingly organized. She is incredibly brilliant, very smart, very well-read. She has, I talked about this earlier, her foresight, planning for the future. She hits all these boxes that I miss in my own life. And so sometimes I feel like I'm 
riding on her coattails because she is just that phenomenal of a person. And I love how easygoing Nick is and how he's always up for an adventure and he always has a cool head in difficult situations. He tells me he loves me every single day. I do. He's never, ever made me feel wanting in any way, made me feel bad about myself or anything like that. He's always ensuring my comfort. He gives me foot rubs regularly. On the regular. (laughs) He just is very caring. And I don't doubt that me and our son are the biggest priorities of his life. That is a blessing to have to have that comfort and place of safety of knowing how important we are and that he will take care of us. Well, that's great. Thanks again so much for sharing those things. And it sounds like both of you have a great future ahead of you and some great things behind you as well. So again, thank you very much. And and it's been a pleasure talking. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for letting us be on your podcast. That wraps up another episode. If you want to learn more about Megan and Nick, go ahead and visit us on our website at makinglovetoday.com or on Instagram or Facebook at Rekindle Love Today. If you want to get in touch with us about anything, feel free to send us an email at podcast at rekindlelovetoday.com. That does it for us for now. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I hope that you're able to find ways to go out and make love in your life.